Please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, as we bow before you on this Sabbath day, the day you have given to us for rest and to reflect on your creation, the day that you have given your people, the day we look forward to each week to put aside the cares and trials of the world to then focus on you. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, that your message that will be spoken this day will be from your heart and not from our heads, for we know that the word tells us which way to go in this world, and we have to keep being reminded sometimes because we have to live in this world with all of its trials and temptations and pulls. So we pray that you will bless your people, bless those that are seeking truth, that you'll be with them and help them have answers to the questions that they have about your word and about all things in it. So we then pray for guidance and pray for safety, and we ask that all those who are sincerely seeking your truth will be blessed this day. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. We had there we had the Mishpakah that we read every Sabbath of those who are joining in for the service from around the world. I want to talk a little bit about families today. And uh, maybe we can learn a few things that uh, Yahweh has for us when it comes to raising children. Raising children is one of the most important things a parent can do, raising them in the right way, in the fear and admonition of Yahweh. It was a number of years ago, I was watching a news telecast one night, a series on the importance of fatherhood in today's families. The uh, presenter was a university professor who had set out to write a book showing that single-parent families are just as good as families with father and mother at the helm. To her surprise, the results of her investigation led to a much different conclusion. Her study found that girls living without fathers at home were twice as likely to drop out of school. They were doubly prone to emotional problems and twice as likely to become pregnant as those that have fathers as a guide. Boys with absentee fathers had two times greater chance of getting into trouble, especially with the law. Statistics reveal that seven out of ten men in prison today grew up without the regular guidance of their fathers. Eight out of ten children in big cities are fatherless. Think about that. Eight out of ten have no father. In lieu, boys find identity in in gangs and uh, other ways, sometimes criminal, because they have no guidance. Or their mothers just don't give them that guidance because she's so busy trying to live, trying to get through life. And uh, we pray for them. I knew a family of five children living right there, and one of them was my best friend. One day, his father just got up and left, gone. They never heard why. They never understood why. He just left, and he never came back, and to this day, he never appeared again to the family. To me, that's one of the most egregious things a father could do. Leave a mother with her children to exist on her own, on their own, 
and just go do his thing, whatever that thing was. To me, that's, there's, no, there's no excuse for any of that. And that man, I believe, will pay for it when he faces Yahshua as the judge. Because even if you don't know Yahweh, you know that that's wrong. We've, you know, the family is part of the structure of our society. The father and mother together. Now, I know there are times when a mother can't be uh, in league with the father because of different situations. She does the best she can, and I feel for him. And this lady had to do the best she could. She sold her house, had a nice house, sold her house, moved in with a parent and uh, an older home, and the kids kind of went off and, you know, made it the best way they could. Beginning in the 1970s, when the feminist movement gained popularity, the male in the family and society was increasingly attacked So it's been 40 years of attacking the father, belittling him, making fun of him, depreciating him. There has been an erosion of the family for now 40 years. And family is the building block of society. Society is nothing but families coming together. That's what society is. As the family unit weakens, the deterioration increases in the culture. Of society. Maybe you saw a couple days ago, just recently, two fellows, and I think it was in a California store, uh, load up with merchandise and walk out the door. Just walk out the door in, in eyesight of everybody who was shopping, and they didn't seem to, didn't bother them at all. Obviously, their parents didn't teach the commandments, especially the eighth one. Oh, yeah, they were probably smug and smirking all the way. Look what we got away with. They didn't get away with it. <laughs> There's a judge coming. But wait till they face Yahshua. But now that they got away with that, you think they're going to try it again? Oh, of course they will. And might be seeing this a lot because the police are not available. They've been... They've been canceled, I guess, or whatever they call it. Situation comedies portray the typical father as a passive, dim-witted dolt who was always being manipulated and outsmarted by his much smarter wife and children. And if he did show some sense and backbone, he came across as Archie Bunker-like in bias and bigotry. Today, Today, the traditional father has been the one to bear the burden of providing stability and corrective training to his children. Yet in recent years, fatherhood has been undermined with other institutions that traditionally have given moral steadiness in our culture. In the last 40 years, certain forces have tried every conceivable way to destroy the family unit, to dispense with moral guidelines and Bible-based absolutes. The battle cry of the 1960s And I remember them because I was a young man at that time. Question authority. Question authority. Don't listen to the people in charge. And we're seeing the culmination of all that today. People, kids, young people, running amok, doing whatever they want, burning down cities. People have spent their lifetime building a business and have just destroyed in a night. This is the kind of stuff we're seeing. The Satan's really got his, his hooks into this culture. And we're reaping the consequences. 
particularly on the family. The mother has her critical place in the family. The mother has the first stab at the children because she's there. I mean, <laughs> she's with the children as they start off in life. She nurtures them. She helps them. She protects them. And as they get older, she gives them some moral guidance as well. But it's the male, it's the father, who's tasked with the most important job of discipline, giving them guidance, challenging them to do better in this world. The problem is we can't build prisons fast enough. Child crime is the most rapidly growing problem we have in law enforcement, along with drug abuse. You can watch, about, you can watch it every night on TV or on the Internet if you want. Life itself has become less valued today, where uh, a kid will just go out with a gun and start shooting people. We're seeing it more and more in different places, different venues like sports stadiums, things like that. The natural fear of taking another life is waning. How much lower can we sink when seven-year-olds kill their own friends? Numb to the killing. Children shall be their oppressors, the Bible tells us, in the end times. We human beings cannot exist without firm standards of behavior, guidelines, something we know is uh, enforced. An all-wise creator made us that way. Absolutes are critical, especially for children. They need guidance. They need a, uh, parameters for, in which they can, they can live. They have to have it. That is really 95% of our problems. Children aren't giving those parameters for life. They wallow around, kind of hanging loose, not knowing what, what's good, what's bad. You know, back at creation in Genesis 2, verse 16, Yahweh gave Adam the first moral instructions. And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. There it was. There was the standard. There was the limitations. Okay, I can't eat of that tree. Or I die. In a subsequent conversation with Eve, notice how the adversary responds. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For Elohim knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes are going to be open. You shall be great. You shall be an Elohim. Don't you want that? Why sit down here in this garden when you can rule the universe? In other words, Eve, you must question his authority. Who is he to impose standards on you? Who is he to tell you about right and wrong? It's just a ploy to keep you under his thumb, to keep you from becoming wise and powerful like Elohim himself. The evil one knew the principle clearly. Take away authority and respect for it, and you initiate destruction, moral destruction of the human race. Yahweh knew it too and had to deal with their sin quickly and forcefully, shutting them out of the garden and rendering swift punishment. Rebellion against authority and a deliberate defying of Yahweh and his established limits was what caused the first man and woman such misery and that has carried on down for thousands of years. Carried on down. It's the same curse that is destroying us today. Biblical law is 
ignored by the majority. They don't even believe the Bible. Only 50% now, they say, of people in this country have a faith in the Bible. Where it wasn't that long ago, three, four years ago, it was like 78% I remember reading. Now it's down to 50%. People are afraid. They're becoming more afraid as the Bible gets thrown out. Afraid to walk alone at night in big cities across this nation. Churches are arming themselves. I never thought I'd believe it, see that. I never believed it. Churches, churches are the last sanctuary, I would think. As the Bible and laws of morality lose their impact on a culture, the evils rise and the tribulations of mankind increase proportionately. As the culture goes down, evil takes its place. It always does. Nothing likes a vacuum. Something always there to replace if you have a vacuum. Always something, and in this case, it's bad. It's a phenomenon that's been demonstrated repeatedly in declining civilizations all through history. Great empires deteriorate from within. And that's what do you think is happening here? Great empires don't last when the people in in them start to lose confidence and lose their morality and lose their willingness to continue on in a moral way. Virtually every structure in this country is now under attack. But the problems of society are just an extension of serious distresses that begin, develop, in deteriorating families. After all, the public at large is but a collection of individual families. As families go, so goes society. From the time of Eve's sin, Yahweh spelled out how headship was to work, how it would function in a family relationship. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and in and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. I didn't write the book, but that's what it says. So that's a standard Yahweh's people have to live by, Genesis 3.16. Paul confirmed his sacred order in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Messiah. We're all under subjection to someone. The man is subject to Messiah, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Messiah is Elohim, 1 Corinthians 11.3. The significance of the father in the family relationship can't be understated. It's so critical. It reaches beyond the fleshly into the spiritual realm. Both the advent of the Levitical priesthood and the family, the father represented the family in worship. He acted as the family priest. When uh, Yahweh commanded his feast to be kept. You know, you read places where it says the father and sons go to the feast as representatives. But later on, he, he says the whole family needs to go to the feast. So he is the one who's out there first. And then the family, of course, would, uh, would fall in line. Yahweh spelled out how headship works. Being head of the household, the father had full control, of course, over his, his family, his children. His word was law. 
He was the judge. He arranged for their marriages. He could even sell his daughters into slavery if he was in dire financial straits. He had that authority. Regardless of what the feminist movement would have us believe, Yahweh intended that the last word in the family rests with the husband, the father. For whatever reason, many children today are struggling without fathers and the guidance that a righteous man has for them. That is, that is an unbelievable blessing. You can't put a value on that. You cannot do it. A good father guiding his family in righteousness. There's nothing better. Because that leads to what? That ble- ble- leads to salvation for the children. If they follow in the footsteps of their father who is a righteous man teaching Yahweh. That's priceless. Respect for authority. That's their job. They can't be negligent of that. They cannot abdicate that responsibility. I'm too busy. I don't have time. My job is too pressing. I, you know, I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't be there all the time. Well, no, you can't, but you've got to be there. You've got to be there. Each day, you've got to be there, at least for a while. Better if you can be there all the time, but, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my dad was a salesman, and he was gone Monday through Friday. Every year of my life until I was 18. And I got used to it, but on the weekend, he tried to make up for it. You know, we'd go out camping all the time or just going different places. He liked to try different restaurants. And it was, it was fun, you know. And, and, but, but he was such a strong individual in establishing limits that I didn't dare step across those limits. When he said we're going to go to the feast, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to go do that the rest of our lives. And that's what we've done. My siblings and I have kept 50 feasts every year, not missing one. That's owing to the strength of my dad. He was resolute. We don't do this in this family when we got off a step. We don't do that. And he was there, on it. He was on it. He didn't let it go. That's what it takes. you got to be on it. When the kids start misbehaving, you got to go for it. And you got to correct them right away, or it's only going to get worse. And for them, it's going to get worse, and it's going to hurt them in the long run. That's what it's all about. And he says, and Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of Yahweh. You don't frustrate them. You know, you don't become an ogre. You don't become a dictator. But you become an understanding father that shows the way. So they understand. It's the nurture and admonition of Yahweh that it takes. A lack of a moral foundation typically leads a youth into run-ins that we talked about with the law, serious behavior problems in school or whatever, that eventually will leach out into society. Then everybody has to deal with it. From the beginning of their lives, children need to know their boundaries. They will constantly test a parent just to see how far they can push the limits. They've got to know that. It's innate in a child. He wants to have boundaries, and you have to set them according to Yahweh's word. Parenting isn't a part-time job. It's not for wimps. It involves a mother as well. She has to be on it. She has to be there. She's the first cause in the child's life. 
and the homemaker as well. And she sees it all, hears it all. And there's, I know many mothers, you can't get away with anything. She knows. She's got eyes in the back of her head, you know. She, she's aware. She knows her kids like nobody else. And she makes it a family and corrects when she needs to. It's critical for both parents to be well-versed in biblical principles and to practice those principles of the scriptures themselves. What model are the kids going to model their lives after? The first, the most important one, their parents. They have to live the word. They have to live their example. It's crucial. In so doing, they will train their children for success in this world. But more importantly, prepare them for the kingdom. A child that comes and wants to do something that the parents don't want him to do, well, Johnny's dad lets him or Johnny's mom. So we, we don't do that in this family. We don't do that. It's dangerous, whatever. It's not good. It's not good for you to jump off that cliff into you know, five feet of water with rocks underneath. You don't do that. They want to you know, risk their lives, but we're not doing that. And if you make that clear all the time, that we don't live by that standard of, you know, whatever it might be that's not good, they'll finally, they'll get the message. But it's got to be instilled early. They say that if a child has to be uh, taught a moral compass by the age of 10, or it's going to be very difficult from that point on. By the age of 10, they have to have a moral uh, fiber in their body that says, I don't do this kind of thing, or um, my family doesn't uh, do this, or whatever. So they know that there's good and there's bad. There's right and there's wrong. But if the parents are well-versed in, in the word, they have a guidance to go by themselves. They've got the commandments. They've got, you know, and that's another thing. You know, Yahweh says to the only commandment with promise is that you honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the earth that Yahweh gives you. You honor your father and mother. Now, that doesn't mean you're on your, you honor your father and mother till. uh you know, you become a rebellious teenager or, uh, or you honor your father and mother until uh, they're old and they're in a nursing home and you don't have to anymore. You know, I've had a lot of experience in nursing homes lately with our aging parents and, and others who are in them. It's so sad to see these people sitting there day after day, year after year. Their children never visit them. Is that honoring them? They never visit them. And it's it's so sad to see that, just, you know, wilding away their days until that final day comes. That's not honoring parents. You honor your parents in all sorts of ways. You honor your parents even when they're gone. You don't talk evil of them. You want to live long? Or if you don't care, go ahead and, you know, criticize your parents once they're gone and see how long you live. Yahweh promises, you're, uh, you want blessings, you stick true to your parents. Children learn best, of course, by observing. The hand is much more effective than the mouth. You know, Do what I say, not what I do, is not good advice. Because what you do is what you are. What you do is how you really feel. You can talk a good line, but the kids can see right through the hypocrisy. They can see that. They're going to do what you do, 
no matter what you say, usually, typically. So, what dad does is what makes dad who he is. A principle every parent must grasp, therefore, is to teach a child properly, they must first have a good example in you. In you. If you uh, do a little cheating on a board game with your kids, what do you think they're going to do? Oh, cheating's okay. Dad or mom does it. It's simple, simple like that. It's important that you do it right. A parent who can give his children the best lectures in the world, but will do a little good if they don't set a good example, is not the way to go. The evils of this present world present some of the most difficult challenges ever faced in the successful upbringing of young people. I, I cringe to see what this world's going to be like in the years ahead. It makes it double tough. When the children are out there in the world, if they're going to school out in the world, they're playing with uh, you know, neighbor kids and so forth who uh, don't have that moral compass, it's going to be double hard. You've got to be on them even closer presents some of the most challenges ever faced when you see this world the way it's going. The entertainment industry, obsessed with glorifying all that's vile, killing nasty sides of life, it's no wonder we suffer from so many sins. My mom didn't even want me to watch Gunsmoke because they shoot guns at people. I love Gunsmoke. <laughs> what I liked about Gunsmoke is they always had a moral. You know, they had a purpose. Uh, you learn something. It may not always be absolutely correct biblically, but you learn something about human nature. But she didn't like the violence, and I, I can see why. Now, you go, to a, you go to a show, and all it is is blowing things up. Cop cars flying all over the place. Bombs dropping. People running for their lives. It's all over the place. Violence, violence. What do you think that's going to lead to? Violence in children. It can't, you can't help to have it that way. If a father beats his wife, the kids are going to grow up. What do you think? Doing the same thing. You've got to watch yourself. And that's one of the advantages of child rearing that gets you under control, you know. You can't get past it. Eyes are watching you and everything, too. Of course, a, a believer shouldn't have that problem, but, you know, sometimes they slip. The internet today is today's teacher, and the world is the classroom where young people learn to steal, lie, cheat, solve their problems by pulling a trigger. For true believers, the knee-jerk reaction is to remove themselves from the sources of this corruption. But that's only a short-term solution. The only way to be totally fear free of uh, permanent harmful influence is to live on another planet. I think they're working on that too now. <laughs> what are they, shooting for Mars now? I'm not sure Yahweh wants that. But anyway, uh, so that means what? We've got to develop a righteous, solid, firm foundation that no matter what the world is doing, we don't do the same. We do otherwise. Yahweh gave Israel the formula for sex, successful child rearing. And these words, his laws, which I command you this day, shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently. Let me underline that. Bold face caps. 
diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, right, and when you rise up. That means all the time, all the time. Have it in, in, in your mind. What's the child picking up? I better correct that. When you're at home lying down, they come to you with a question, you answer it. You don't avoid it. You answer it the best way you can, according to the word. When you're out walking, when you're out enjoying maybe a camping trip, you talk about Yahweh. You have to instill it early. Now, it's not impossible to change a a miscreant uh, when he's uh, 20, 25 years old, but uh, it's going to be more difficult. It's, it is going to be more difficult to teach them the scriptures. And, uh, you know, we've seen it happen. It can happen. People can get converted. But always, it seems, it's by the example of their parents. They finally get past the, uh, the stage of rebellion, and they start looking around. It was it Mark Twain said when I was a boy of 17, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand the old man having the old man around. When I got to be... 21, I was amazed by how much he had learned in three years, four years, four years. Mark Twain didn't realize that his father was always that way. It was he that had to make the transition. It was he that had to learn about becoming a, uh, a good man. So, anyway... When you sit down, when you rise up, all the time, you're admonishing children, teaching them, training them. Be proactive, not just reactive. Anticipate what they're going to do. You can do that. You know your child and what he's going to do. And uh, like you go out camping and uh, say, okay, now there's a, there's a uh, cliff over there. Don't even try it. You want to end up a paraplegic, go ahead and jump into that head first or whatever and see what happens when head meets shallow rocks and water. So you, you, you be proactive. Um, now when you go to, with your friends out and they want to start drinking, uh-uh, uh-uh. You want to see those signs on the road, those crosses on the road where kids did that, got in a bunch of cars and kids in a bunch of cars and took off and one drives off and they all die? Think about it. Use your head, you know. Think about the dangers. That's a key to a parent's job is to keep children safe from day one up until, you know, they're driving or more. You got to fight damaging behavior before it can take hold. Explain good and bad and right and wrong. Give them some armor. Give them a weapon to, to use against that stuff. Not after the deed is done, and you got to go bail them out of jail or something. This is accomplished best in Bible studies and discussions. As Yahweh directs, a father must take a personal loving interest in what's happening in the lives of his family and his children and be genuine. Children can readily sense the difference between sincerity and phoniness. Oh, now we're going to have that talk. You know, it's just like, this is outside our lives. Now we've got to have this talk. No, you live that talk. So you show them. 
Talk with your children in the morning, in the evening, especially at dinner time. And that's another problem in our culture. People don't eat together. Eating together is when you talk things over. How was school? I had a problem. What was that problem? What did you do? What do you think you should do? Get it out there. You've got you to gotta interact with your children if you want them to grow up right. Explain why certain behavior is wrong. Child rearing is a, rearing is a daily, in-day, day-out effort. It takes unrelenting work and sacrifice of yourself. You've got to be willing to do that. Think about that when you're thinking about having children. Are you willing to sacrifice? Is that going to be a priority in your life? Or is getting ahead, making lots of money, your priority? If that's your priority and you really mean it, I suggest you, uh, you think about having children because they're going to need you. And I think every Bible believer knows how important it is. They know how much Joshua loved the children, suffered the little children. Theirs is the kingdom. Why? Why? For one thing, they're innocent. They don't know. But they can grow to be good believers. And then one day they'll be rewarded the kingdom. But now we've got to start. We gotta, we've got a way to go. But we can start now on the right foot. Theirs is the kingdom. It's not a job for the teenage mother who hasn't grown up herself. Nor is it a once-in-a-while stint whenever the mood hits. Call it quality time. Quality time. All time should be quality time. All of it, when you, when you share it with your children. Absentee parenting will never do the job. Many fathers think discipline entails just a lot of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't go there. Um, don't say that. Stop that. Change that attitude. Well, you've got to give them a track to run on. You've got to show them how. Why? Instead of just being a bunch of don'ts, that doesn't, that doesn't really cut it. Positive training, however, provides the opportunity for real spiritual growth. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.11, As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. He says, be there for your children. Be consistent and disciplined. Don't be a wuss. You tell them not to do something one time and then let them do it again some other time? Oh, no. You've got to be consistent. You don't do that ever. Well, they're not going to get it. They're going to say, which way do I go, right or wrong? I don't know. One time I'm told this, I do it over here and I, nobody says anything. You've got to be consistent. That's good child rearing. Don't look the other way when they do something wrong. Because it's only going to continue to get worse. I remember growing up out west, there was a lady across the street who had a son named Stanley. And Stanley was kind of a little rebellious guy at three years old. And uh, I was outside one day, and uh, Stanley goes out to the middle of the road and sits there. And she, she says, Stanley, come back here. Stanley just looks at her. Stanley, I mean it. Come back here. Didn't phase him. Stanley. For the fourth and last time, would you get over here? And I just stood there and 
I wanted to go out, pick the kid up, take him over and say, here's how you handle that. And you give him a little swat so he doesn't do it again. But uh, some people, they just, you gotta be, you got to be proactive. you just got to. You've got you to gotta take charge. You've got to take the bull by the horns. So don't look the other way. Take charge. Follow up as well. Don't ignore it and think it's going to go away because it's not. If they're into a bad attitude or a bad, uh, I should say bad behavior, everybody can have a bad attitude, for, but hopefully it doesn't last. Uh, teach personal responsibility. Teach them what would you do, you know. Someone, child's talking about a friend he had, and they got in some trouble, and uh, uh, the, the kid got disciplined by his father. And you ask him, what, what do you think you should, if you were the father, what would you do? Let him think about stuff like that. Is that good? Is that good for your friend if uh, he just lets it go? Things like that. Correct early and correct often. That's the key. You do it in love, of course, because you love your children, and your correction is for their own good. Paul uses the way a righteous father trains his children as an example to be used among brethren. Exhort means to advise, tell, teach. A father can help guide his son or daughter in the right direction by virtue of what he says and what he does. By his lifelong experience as well. He knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows where it's all going to end. So he has the experience to say, look, this is not good. It's not going to turn out well. Don't do it. Or this is good. It could turn out well. You know, He can also be positive, and he should be positive with his children, You know, guiding them to a, uh, a fruitful life. That's part of it too. It's not just do's and don'ts, but it's, you know, Maybe you should think about doing this. This is a good opportunity. Let them think about it. They need guidance. When they stumble, he offers comfort, encourages them to keep trying. Don't give up. Keep trying. Don't walk away. If that's a good thing they're trying to do, give, give them responsibility. Father gives his children the freedom to learn and grow, and just as important, being there when they make a mistake. We all make mistakes. There's nothing wrong with that, but use it as a moment of learning. One key to effective effective parenting is to be always ready to give good counsel. Help them with their questions. Only by communicating daily and interacting with them are you going to discover and rectify the wrong notions, the bad way, and point out the proper way. And that will eventually become second nature. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've known, I've known youths that turned away from the truth and wondered, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But they were instilled early on with Yahweh's word, guess what? They come back when they've either, you know, sowed their wild oats or whatever. Uh, They come back to the truth because it's instilled in them. They got it. They know it. It's in here. And they know what's right. And they realize the world isn't it. The world doesn't offer what they need. They need spirituality. They need a goal in the spiritual realm to, to follow. 
They have to have that. And if you give it to them, you don't have to worry about them. They'll come back. It's not always easy to watch them go, but they'll come back, I believe, unless they're just plain old uh, recalcitrant. I mean, they're not going to, no matter what, but uh, it's, in, it's instilled in them. And maybe sometimes you've got to remind them, you know, do you remember what the Bible says? You know, maybe you should start thinking about coming back to services. Maybe you should start thinking about Bible study. Guess what? Sometimes works. But Yahweh calls, and Yahweh's working in their lives. may not happen right away. You know, we always say, well, why don't people listen? I don't know if they're ready. I don't know if their calling is right now. But the people that do, they latch on to it right away, like you here. Yahweh's called you, and now you have to do something about it. He's called you to be one of his. The chosen, well, that's if you live the life he's looking for. Those will be the ones raised in the resurrection. Proverbs has a lot to say. Read the Proverbs. It's, it's good instruction. Even though, <laughs> like we said, it's what you do and not what you say that matters. Oh, wise King Solomon, he didn't follow his own instructions, you know, most of the time. But his instructions were good. They were of Yahweh. His behavior was himself. But the instructions are there, and they're good. Once a child understands right and wrong, reinforcement is a given. This is where father and mother must work together to be most effective, each backing up the other and presenting a united front. Don't let the child say, when you, you, uh, your mother or your father says, uh, no, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that, or you know we can't allow that. And then run to the other parent, try to get an, an affirmative from them, because the other parent says no. I'm going to try to get a yes. Well, mom says I could. Mom and dad should both say no if it's the wrong thing, but don't let them play one off against the other. You know. Consider this: we have our children for only 18 years. That's not very long. For only 18 years. And then they're gone. Then they're emancipated, let go, to live their own lives. That gives us a relatively short time to inspire a love of Yahweh in them. That's why it's so important to do it now. Do it now while they're growing and learning. Once past, that opportunity may never come again. He must just say, oh, that's, I don't. I don't think so. I just, they just, it was never instilled in them, so they just don't, don't care. How many parents in the faith wished they had instilled a love for Yahweh in their children before it became to that point, before it became too late? A father or mother who has a love for Yahweh will do everything possible to pass that on to their children. It's their duty. Yahweh gives them the sacred duty to do that to train up a child in the way he should go. It's not part-time. It's not whenever you feel like it. It's not when you have, you're not tired. It's all the time. The sooner they get started, the more effective and lasting will be the results. In fact, nothing can be better than to look to Yahweh as the Heavenly Father 
of all humanity and the one who guides our lives every day as we walk with him. Mothers and fathers who use the Bible as the instruction book, the maker's uh, book for our lives, will find that their prospects for successful child rearing will be greatly enhanced. Furthermore, they have the unique opportunity to imprint his love on them, a love of Yahweh that will never be forgotten. They can give no greater gift. May Yahweh bless you.